When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. My name is Gelsey Laurie. I am a performer from Southern California. I recently left Cirque du Soleil for three years, so yes, that's right, I ran away with the circus. Before then, I was a professional dancer, did a couple Broadway shows on the road, traveled internationally performing, and moved to LA to be a stunt woman. I am currently recovering from a concussion, so we'll see how that career goes. <laughs> Anyways, I am doing this podcast, this lovely little podcast called Before My Time, because I am very passionate about everything. Well, before my time. So I'm very excited to have guests on to talk about what they're passionate that happened before their birthday year and give you more of an insight of what I love. Some episodes we have to come and you can look forward to are The Muppet Show, The Carol Burnett Show, Some Like It Hot, and the history of opening day of the Disneyland Park, just to name a few. So this episode, we are kicking off with Frankenstein. We're going to be diving into the novel, the author herself, Mary Shelley, and the difference between the good old movies that you probably know best. I am also always joined by my lovely producer, Matt Kelly. Hello. Uh, I mean, I stay quiet if you have a guest for sure, but... When it's just you and I on the mic, we're going to talk. Oh, yeah. You are a part of this, Matt. Uh, thank you. I am excited to go on this journey. Uh, this is going to be a really fun podcast. I do, too. I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into more topics. And if y'all have a topic that you'd like to hear or talk about yourself and want a guest on, write in to insert email or something now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we'll get a show email address, but uh, contact matt at geekscape.net if you have any ideas for topics you want to see. Put before my time somewhere in the email title, and uh, I'll be sure to pass it to Gelsey until we make an official account. Well, with that said, let's get into Frankenstein. 
When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein! Don't touch that! All right, Kelsey. So, it's your first episode. It is. I'm very excited. And it's spooky season. It's the tail end of spooky season. The best part of this year, spooky season. So... You had mentioned that you wanted to talk about Frankenstein, and I'm curious why. So what is your connection with Frankenstein? Oh, gosh, what isn't? No, let's see. So everyone knows who Frankenstein is. I think it's it's like someone that we've grown up with as a classic monster. And so that iconic horror was always a part of my life. But in high school, along with probably a lot of us, read the novel of Frankenstein. And that's when I realized how different the book is from the classic story, classic in quotes, that we think we know. And it really grabbed me of like, oh my gosh, this is so much deeper than just a, it's alive kind of a fun story. And I really dove into the backstory of it and the author and getting into Mary Shelley's life and her reflection into it. And there was a lot of connection I found through Mary Shelley and I related a lot to her. So I think that's where like the start of it happened. Okay. And diving into it, it's just fascinating. And then I just became obsessed. So let me ask you this, and I'm sure that we will ultimately cover all of these at some point or another, but of the, you know, I would say the classic five universal monsters. You've got Dracula, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Mummy, and Frankenstein. Would you say Frankenstein is your favorite of those characters? Yeah, I would. Would you also say that the movies are your favorite of those films? Yes, I do think so. The Mummy's pretty good, and I know it's not the remake in the 2000s that we all love, <laughs> which I do love those, but I do think there's something about... Frankenstein too, that just has this classic, the castle, the science. I, I, I'm attracted to the science fiction of it as well, which this novel was considered the first true science fiction. I think that's fair. And, and I mean, even its title is longer than people realize because it's not just called Frankenstein, right? It's got like a longer name. The modern Prometheus. There it is. Mm -hmm. I knew it had something to do with Prometheus. The modern. <laughs> <laughs> I I think for me, like I grew up on the Frankenstein movie. I honestly grew up on young Frankenstein and, and then went back. And I, I think the more that you watch the original Frankenstein movies, the more appreciation you get for what Mel Brooks was doing with that parody too, because it's very different than the other types of parodies that he did. It's almost a sequel in a weird way. It is kind of like a sequel. And it's obviously very much spoofing the 1931 version, which I, there's been so many Frankenstein movies made. But but that's what I almost like don't want to get too much into Young Frankenstein because I feel like that's a whole other topic. Oh, it's, it's, can, a, yeah, it's, no, no, no. it's its own topic. As much as we love all of these universal movies, really only three of them are heralded as like masterpieces of craft, which is 
Dracula, Frankenstein, and Bride of Frankenstein. So you can tell that there was a lot of extra, like, delicate, tender, loving care put into, like, making these Frankenstein movies. Mm -hmm. There's actually a really good... James Walls was the director of both Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein, which was 1931 and then 1935. And, of course, Boris Karloff was the monster, not Frankenstein. That's another thing a lot of people get confused about is we see the monster and it's like, oh, that's Frankenstein, but it's not actually. That's just yeah. the monster. And Dr. Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein is the creator. And so it's, I remember as a kid always thinking that. And when I learned that that's the way it was, I was like, wait, what? That's not Frankenstein? Like mind blown. Like I was like, this can't be. But anyways, back to James Walls, that was really, those were his two hits. And he kind of was a has-been. Anything he did after that was a flop. And there's a really good movie about his life later, kind of into his retirement before death, and created in 1998 called Gods and Monsters. And Ian McKellen plays him. And it has it's kind of between him and a relationship of his gardener, who Brendan Fraser plays. And it's a really more character development, kind of just sit in a room and talk type movie. But it's it's quite good into his character in life. But it's more about him, not the movie. It was it was really good. But yeah, you, you get the, the attachment he has, though, and that, like you said, tender, loving care that went into yeah. these films. Which, But like you said, as someone who's finally sat down and read the book maybe a couple of years ago, you are right. It is very different. Extremely different. I mean, there is no castle. <laughs> yeah, like it pulls a few elements here and there in like a, in a weird way. The novel is both Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, while also not being either of those, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, weird. It is quite bizarre how they came up with, actually, the 1931 film that we know and what kind of makes any story of what we think we know of Frankenstein was more based off of the 19, I think it was a 1927, yeah, 1927 play version of the stage that the film was more based off of. And because after the novel was written, there was about five different versions of it that went to stage. And unfortunately, Mary Shelley didn't get, Frankenstein was becoming popular and she didn't get anything from that. You know, there was no copyrights and royalty programs at that time. So she kind of got screwed in the pooch on that. But the 1823 version is when an assistant is introduced. And actually in that film, in version, he's Fritz, which now we later to know as Igor. And then it was the 1927 version, which was adapted from that, that then the film was most based off of. So let me ask you a question, because you did mention that, like, you know, Mary Shelley didn't really get to benefit too much. Mm -hmm. Was Frankenstein a hit upon its publication, though? Or was it like one of those things where, like, after she died, it became massive? Yeah, it it was. Um, so it got published in 1818, but she published it anonymously. So she was 20 years old, which is insane. She started writing it at 18 years old and it got published when she was 20. So this teenager writing this like yeah. masterpiece, but she published it anonymously because she's a woman and her at the time husband, they had just gotten married not um, too shortly before, Hersey Shelley, who's a famous poet, did the introduction to it. And so everyone thought he wrote it. There was that kind of conflict and, and that put a lot of strain to on a relationship and, you know, a lot of other things. But So I grew up knowing this. I, I think it's an urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not. I'd like mm -hmm. you to clarify that like the origins of this started with like two couples basically hanging out 
in a in a house trying to tell scary stories. Kind of, yeah. Um, so Mary Shelley was traveling Europe with uh, her husband Percy, and I do believe at that time she was pregnant. Eighteen fifteen. No, she had already miscarried and lost a child. So she ran away with this poet Percy. They did not get married. They ran off, and her stepsister came with them, which led to her father disowning her. So it's kind of like a backstory of where that goes into the novel. So they were traveling around Europe. They did stop in Germany and saw the Frankenstein castle. And there were some stories of kind of uh, science creature building, you know, it, seeds got planted story-wise, but they were in Geneva and got kind of caught with bad weather inside of a manor with Lord Byron, who was kind of a bizarre eccentric Lord of the time. And they did have a competition out of essentially boredom of who could write the best ghost story. And she came up with this idea for that. And that was in 1815, I believe. And she didn't, it didn't get published till 1818. So she was working on it for quite a some time, you know, it was the initial story she came up with. And then it's, of course, rewrite, rewrite, continue, expand on it. And, and through that expansion is when she kind of went through some more deaths and losses in her life. And there's a lot of her struggles and themes of her life that are reflected clearly in the book. I'd love to know a little bit more about Percy, actually. So was Percy someone that you would say was like a supportive husband to this or no? Yes, they had an interesting dynamic. He was extremely, I mean, they were so in love, romantic runaways, very supportive, but there was adultery. There was, you know, he would just kind of go off and I think in some parts of the relationship, he still was his number one when the romance yeah. died out. And so he was supportive. I mean, she would write and he was there, but I forget when it did get published, kind of what his stance was. I read her biography, but it was last summer. Because you feel like, you know, there's that one side of it where it's like, we're both artists. We both want to support each other, et cetera. But then there's also that element of like, is there an element of personal jealousy when like... For sure. When the other person is being a bigger success than you? Yeah. No, I for sure think there was some jealousy there. and But you know, it got... So 1818 was when it got published. The second edition was 1821 when her name got put on it. And that's when it started getting like, oh, this is trash. We can't... You know, a woman wrote this. And it yeah. got a lot of backlash because of that. The popular edition of the novel we know didn't get republished until 1831. So she revised it um, and it was released on October 31st, which I love. <laughs> she made it less radical, if you will. So I actually don't really know the original version where those changes were made, but Percy died in 1822. She was 24 okay. when he passed. So she was quite young when you know, he drowned in Italy with a bad boat accident. Really sad. She's had a very tragic life. <laughs> was the original language that it was written in English? Or are we reading an English translation of something that was written in like German or, or no, some it was other... English. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause she's she's British. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was not translated. I know I always wonder books that are translated. I'm like, how much of this got lost in translation? It's like <laughs> you know, because there's like words that don't translate. She's over. Case in point, the Bible. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, so you recently read a book about Mary Shelley. Was Frankenstein your favorite prior to reading that? And the and then just reading that 
further justified him, this character as your favorite, or did that have a lot of influence on him becoming your favorite? Yes, okay. yes, and yes. So Frankenstein was already my favorite of the classic monster movies, and it it does. There's something also like I think because he's the most tragic of all the monsters because it wasn't his choice to be created. And so there's always this dark empathy towards him that I kind of felt. And there's something just about Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein that I I think it's because it has that also classic Hollywood vibe. It's the most classic horror Hollywood. And I'm obsessed with the 30s and 40s as well. And so I was just always drawn to Frankenstein. I mean, literally, I'm readers, I mean, listeners can't see, but my phone case is Frankenstein. Like, yeah, but like, the Hollywood version, if you will, like, there's something very glamorous about Frankenstein. So but I had a good friend at work, um, as a birthday present, buy me this biography. And it's a really interesting book. I highly recommend it. It's called Romantic Outlaws. And it's a dual biography of Mary Shelley and her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft. And so every other chapter is this Mary, that Mary, this Mary, that Mary. And it kind of shows their lives in a parallel line. Ooh. Oh, it's so fascinating. And Mary Wollstonecraft, her mother died 11 days after she gave birth. So she never knew her mother. And that um. had a lot of dramatic influence on her life of her childhood being quite poor and not having that motherly figure. Her father, William Goodwin, who was also a writer, philosopher, and novelist, remarried. And his new wife, also named Mary, Every, by the way, everyone was named Mary back in the 1800s. <laughs> like, everybody. But she she wasn't quite as kind to Mary Shelley and didn't let her have an education and read, which is what Mary Shelley wanted to do. She very much admired her mother and read her work and tried to live to her mother's standards, who for the time, Mary Wollstonecraft was, she was a a writer, philosopher, and advocate for women's rights. And she's considered one of the founding feminist philosophers of history. She's, you know, was very out of her time. And um, her most famous work was called A Vindication of the Right of Women. Um, She had two love affairs. One, she had a child without a wedlock, which obviously at the time was a huge no-no, and then married William Goodwin and, and gave birth to Mary Shelley. But, you know, I think because her mother was a writer and had such a feminist forward way of thinking and that women should be equal. And the only reason that they weren't was because they weren't given the proper education and, you know, all those kind of classic things. Mary Shelley really held to that and wanted to become a writer and wanted to live outside of the restraints of being a woman in that time. Ironically, William Goodwin really loved Mary Wollstonecraft for that and supported her. But when she had passed away, he wrote a biography on her and it wasn't in the best of light of her and kind of went with society's expectations of like, well, yeah, this is to kind of have put himself in a better light. And once he remarried, it just, the whole dynamic changed. And so I think that gave Mary a really unfortunate upbringing with the fact that she had two brilliant parents. Yeah, no, I could see that being an issue for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, I do, I do want to go back to the the original movie for a quick second because yeah. I think the original Frankenstein also has that really amazing opening where it's just basically like the vaudeville MC basically walking out on stage and just being like... We're about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. 
I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. And then he goes behind the curtain in the movie. Like it's brilliant. And that's so a, I'm good. putting that as my dating profile the next time it's I open an online so date. so fucking good. It's such a <laughs> so good, good way to set the mood of like... <gasps> Of what is like by today's standards quite the tame movie, but like, but of nineteen thirty one, I mean that was like oh for sure, like, but it's like uh, man, what a what a great way to really like that's some William Castle, like I'm sure that inspired William Castle, like uh, the idea of that, that you know what I mean? To, yeah, it's like, just there's so, so much going on with Frankenstein General. Let's how about you tell us a little bit about the difference between the novel and the and the book or the novel and the movie. Yeah, for sure. I did want to um before I go into that main difference. Did you know actually that there was a movie made of Frankenstein before the 1931 version of what we think is the original? It yes. is not. There was a 1910 Thomas Edison, right? Yes, it's one of the first movies ever made. Yeah. And 1910 and it's 12 minutes long. Um, it ends happily, which is not how the novel ends. <laughs> Spoil- oh, by the way, big spoiler alerts in all of this. So if you haven't read the novel and you want to, just listen to this because I'm talking and it's fun. I actually watched that this morning, the whole thing. So I was like, why have I never seen this? And it's it's quite fun. It's quite good. I it's, love silent pictures. I think they're great. For what it is, especially, like, again, you're, this is the fir- one of the first movies ever made. Ever. It's definitely the first horror movie ever made. It's good for, what, for that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's better than I, I remember I watched it years ago when it was first like rediscovered and reassembled and someone uploaded it onto YouTube with like, you know, they did like as much of an HD conversion as they possibly mm-hmm. could with it. And I remember the monster looking kind of impressive for like first time ever special effects. He looked really good. I was like, this guy's really scary. And I think actually the monster they depict is more true to what. Mary Shelley would have had in mind versus the nuts and bolts in the head version we know. The 1931 Frankenstein is really, really strange in the sense of it's a monster built out of parts of people, but it doesn't look even, it it looks like humanoid at best. Like it's not very human looking versus like, you know, there was the Robert De Niro movie where like they tried they tried to actually make it look like a person, like a person like they assembled sewed by together. Parts. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The 1994 version, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, is actually the first film that was trying to be the truest to the novel. And they did a quite a good job. They, they did do some Hollywood tweaks of stories and some dramatic things, but I highly recommend that version. But yeah, let's dive into the novel. Yeah, let's talk about the differences. Because I feel like most people know the movie, yeah. right? Like we don't have to go too deep into it. Frankenstein has his assistant collect body parts. They build a monster. They use the wrong brain. Monster is a groaning mess. Destroys the lab. Abby normal. Sorry. I said Abby I normal. I said I wouldn't he, do de- he destroys the lab. The townspeople revolt after he kills a little girl and he burns up in a windmill. Now, how much of that, appears in the book (laughs) none of it like literally you know what i will say uh, body parts are sewn together he creates life out of death and there is a blind man in a village there there is elements of that so the novel actually starts near the north pole yeah robert walton is a captain and he's 
on an expedition to find and reach the North Pole and has this extreme. So there is a theme of ambition and dangerous knowledge is a common theme of it. And it's kind of reflected between Robert Walton having this dangerous expedition and he finds Victor Frankenstein wandering and he's extremely sick. So he takes him in. His ship is um, locked in between ice so he can't get out. And that is when Victor Frankenstein tells his story to then Robert Walton, who we're reading that through letters to his sister. So it's one of those weird, like, he's telling his sister that he said that she said. So that's funsies. I feel like that's a very of that time period format, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like so many novels of that time period were like a series of letters from somebody writing to somebody else. Yeah. And I think it's just because it was how they communicated. Like now yeah. it, I, it was just such a common, let me tell you, dear sister. Like it's like a way yeah. to like storytell very well, but I do agree. It is. I'll give like long story short, spark notes version with Kelsey. Victor <laughs> Frankenstein goes off to university in Ingolstadt. Okay. I'm already a side note. I've been to Ingolstadt in Germany and I went to a <laughs> beer festival there. Super fun. Schwasted. Anyways, lovely people. <laughs> I was excited when I read the book. I was all, Ingolstadt? What a great town. He goes to university there, get, is obsessed with science, blah, 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 wants to create, you know, gets this idea, cut to the chase of, gets dead body parts himself, but he is doing this in his apartment. <laughs> so already the notion of this giant castle and it being lifted up to the, you know, on, on the moving bed to the lightning, uh, that's all Hollywood. So he's just <laughs> in his apartment, succeeds to make um, the monster immediately leaves his apartment and abandons the creature or let's call it the creature because he's just so hideous and he can't believe what he created, which yeah, is he has buyer's remorse pretty much as soon as he creates it. <laughs> I love that buyer's remorse. So true. He's like, Oh, this was not a return policy that I read clearly, <laughs> but already in reflection, we can see abandonment is a huge theme from the monster. So that's, you know, Mary's feeling of obviously abandonment from her mother, which wasn't her fault. She died and abandonment from her father who disowned her after she ran away with Percy. While he's away, Victor's younger brother, William is murdered in the woods. And as he makes his way back to deal with his family issues, he sees the creature. So he knows that it had to be the monster that killed his brother. Obviously, the town has no idea. He's not telling anyone he made this monster because <laughs> secrets are fun. And a girl that the family has kind of adopted in, Justine, gets accused of killing the brother and is tried and hung for her crimes. So now he's lost two people, both innocent, who the creature has killed in a sense. And now he's got, talk about buyer's remorse, just so much guilt because he feels responsible for all of this. Side note on Mary's life, she had had miscarriages, lost her firstborn. So she felt a lot of guilt as well, even though, of course, miscarriages and and kids at that time were dying left and right. You know, you're lucky to make it to two. But she still felt extremely responsible and guilty of... So that innocence lost was a huge theme for her as well. And she was dealing with huge, huge depression of postpartum and losing children, of course. So that's kind of in there too. Victor goes up to the mountains to get away. He's like, fuck my life. And the monster's there and is like, dude, fuck you. My life sucks. I didn't ask to be made. So why don't you create me 
an ugly woman. And he like basically is like, make her just as hideous so we can be together and hideous and no one else like. And that's, I think that's the thing that people skip over a lot when they think of Frankenstein is that the monster becomes intelligent very quickly. Yes, extremely. And he does it through like self-learning. The monster was homeschooled. Yeah. It, it kind of in the story, he goes back later and tells what he was up to while there was a couple years where he was gone and Victor didn't see him. And this is where the kind of blind man peasants come into the stories where he finds a place to hide. And through that, he sees a blind man and his family who don't have anything. And he watches them over time. And they have a, a foreign student basically staying with them. I can't remember what nationality she is. So she, while she's learning English, he's learning English with her kind of through the shadows and learns what dynamics are family. He learns about love and he actually is a very loving, compassionate creature. He wants to be their friends. He sees the friends. He helps them harvest. They're starving. They can't work and don't have the manpower to get enough firewood. And so he'll do it while they're sleeping and leaves it at their front door. And they're like, how is what's happening? And because, you know, he's just stronger and he can endure pain because he's the monster. It is kind of quite sad because you see him learn love, compassion, family, you know, living with the bare minimum. And finally he goes in to be like, let's see if they'll like me, <laughs> friends. And of course they're like, monster, get out. And yeah. so that's immediately when he kind of gets that sour taste in his mouth about life and humans and gets pissed. And he's like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be. So that's where, you know, the tragedy comes in and um, alien, you know, monstrosity is another theme and alienation, which the monstrosity can be seen both in the monster, of course, just duh, but it's more at the end of the book, you're like, Victor Frankenstein's the real monster. Fuck yeah. this guy. Like, yeah, he created someone or something, but it's the abandonment that is just, he just yeah, keeps it's, running. It's, and the it's, not, it's not taking responsibility for the thing that was created. Yeah, which I think a lot of people do these days. So, yeah, man, how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> the monster does learn extremely fast. He's very, very smart, which in the movie, it's more, it's complete opposite where they're like, we got the wrong brain and this guy's an idiot. And that's why he's like, fire, monster, bad. Like yeah. kind of plays more <laughs> of that, like, like sense. But in the novel, I mean, the monster is having full in-depth conversations. And, and so he asks for a companion to be made. And it's like, if you do this, I'll leave you alone. My bride and I will go in the mountains. We'll live peacefully. But if you don't, you'll be sorry and I'll kill everyone you love. And at this point in the novel, you think, oh, that's such a terrible thing. But when you read it and kind of go in chronological order, you're totally like, you justify the monster. You're like, hell yeah, like make him a bride. Like he's lonely. Yeah. This isn't fair. Victor goes off and I'm skipping obviously small details, but <laughs> Spark Notes with Kelsey does that. He, he starts to create, he goes off and starts to create this partner for the monster. And before he actually brings it to life, he destroys it all because he feels the guilt. He's very torn of... I've made this creature and if I don't give him someone to live his life with, that's awful of me. But if I create someone and they're just as distraught and they didn't be, they're not asked to be made and they go on a killing spree, I'm just as responsible for that. And because he has the guilt of the death of William and Justine on his shoulders, he decides to destroy the whole project and is like, screw this. So he knows the monster is going to come after him. So he's about to marry his, <laughs> this is a fun, so in the beginning of him retelling his story as a child, his family adopts Elizabeth, who in one version, she's the cousin. And in another version, she's not. But it, she kind of becomes their sis, his sister, even though okay. she's not blood. So they grow up as brother and sister. And then they end up later in life 
becoming romantic and then he's going to marry her, which I'm like, this is so weird. Fun fact that my great grandmother (laughs) married the boy that her family adopted. Really? Yeah. It was a neighborhood kid that she grew up with and his parents were killed in a fire. So they took him in and she married someone else prior. And then when her first husband died, her and this boy that was like her stepbrother he moved in to take care of her and they slowly fell in love. There's something really sweet about that. Like I want to go, aw, but it is, I think my initial reaction is like you grow up with someone as a brother or sister. You're like weird. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, it worked in Clueless, right? So you know what? That is so true. And that was always something in Clueless too that I'm like, as a kid, I never got it because I was just like, Paul Rand's so pretty. I want to marry him too. But um, yeah, as an adult, I watch it and I'm like, that's like his sister in a way. It's so <laughs> weird. But when in the 1800s, that doesn't count for Clueless, but well, it kind of counts for Clueless because it's based off of Is it Emma. Emma? Yeah, yeah, Jane Austen, which also, but uh, no, knowledge. <laughs> anyway, so he's going to marry Elizabeth. He sends Elizabeth away because he's like, monster's coming after me. So if you're not here, you're safe. <laughs> Little does he know the monster's so smart while he's away. He goes after Elizabeth and kills her. Um, the uh-oh. monster does. Yeah, big uh-oh. So sad day for Victor Frankenstein. Because you know what? Moral of the story, don't create monsters. So yeah, Elizabeth is killed. So now Frankenstein is P.O.'d. He's like, this is bullshit. This means war. He's lost everyone that's important to him. He feels responsible. So vengeance is his. So he vows to spend the rest of his life hunting down his creation to kill him. Thus, he's wandering. I don't know how the hell he got all the way up with a sled, dog pulling sled in the near the North Pole, but that's where his expedition led him to find his creature who he was stalking. And this is where he gets sick and finds Robert Walton. So through telling him this story, he ends up dying because he's like so sick and he's like, <laughs> my mission wasn't complete and bleh, you've heard my story, yeah. I'm dead. The monster is there. He then mourns as much as he hates Frankenstein. Then the ending is kind of... He's sad. And I believe he like sails off on a tiny piece of wood and lights the whole say, thing on I, fire and kills himself. Yeah, I distinctly remember him sailing off. I can't remember if it was on a piece of ice or a piece mm-hmm. of wood or something, but he basically just goes off to die isolated Alone. from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Which he was isolated already, but it was like it was a stab to him more that his creator, even though he hated his creator and his creator abandoned him, it was still the only thing he had in his life. And be it the game of hiding from him and running. I was going to say, it's the game of cat and mouse kind of ending. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he didn't have that anymore. And it's still then kind of also back to that, like parenting simile father figure, even people with bad relationships with their parents, when they die, they're distraught because that's still, your mother or father. And this is still his, in a sense, mother and father. Um, So that he goes off and does that. And then Captain Walton is like, you know what? This was a good moral of the story. Ambition can kill you. Don't be dumb. I'm going to go home. So the ice melts and he abandons his expedition to the North Pole and is like, never mind. I'm going home. What a great tale. I learned my lesson. The end. So yeah, exactly like the 1931 movie. It's just just (laughs) like it. They're in a castle. That's exactly what I said. No, it's so different. It's so deep though. Like, and obviously there's way more to the novel than that, but there are definitely some chapters. I was like, damn, (laughs) this just got dark. So how, when was the first time you read Frankenstein, a modern day Prometheus? 
I was in summer school in high school. Yeah, I did summer school. I graduated high school in three years. So my two in-between summers, I took classes to get ahead. And look at you, Miss Cool. I know. I'm so cool. (laughs) No, I was like, just get me the hell out of here. I don't give a shit about this. I want to move on with my life. That's how I felt. And the cheer coach, who I wasn't on cheer, but the cheer coach was my lit teacher that summer because summer school. I was like, this this is great. It was more like a film class. We would read novels. And then because it's summer school and she just wanted to kill time, she'd be like, now watch the movie. But we would write compare and contrast essays of novels and films. And we watched the 1994 version because that was more true to the novel. And so that was kind of my first introduction to the novel and then that film. And I was like, this is brilliant. And I loved it. And from then on, I'd always, I hadn't read it since a year ago. I I read it again after I read uh, Mary Shelley's biography. And I was like, I got to read the novel again. This is so good. But I always consider that one of my favorite books I read in high school. Do you, at this time, when you were doing the summer school thing, Mm -hmm. would you say that that was opening the door for you loving kind of vintagey old stuff or were you already I was down that path already deep 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 down that okay. path I was that did uh, no I was already deep 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 down that path <laughs> I, I got more and more into the 30s and 40s I would say from that time on just naturally but in high school I was stuck in the 60s like so bad so bad. Like I'd go to school with like a beehive and everyone's like, what the hell are you? And I was like, just trying it out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, Gelsey, I'm actually going to do a quick self-promotion here, but it's to lead to an, a question that I want to ask you. Okay, so, great, on the Geekscape Twitch channel this Friday, I'll be doing a 15-hour live stream for charity, um, watching nothing but classic horror films from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. The viewing audience will get to vote on what movie gets played next, but I'm kicking it off with the original Frankenstein. Yes. And that's kind of become a tradition for me that Frankenstein is absolutely watched every year in October. Is there any of these classic Universal movies? Uh, obviously, we talked about Frankenstein. I am sure there will be more classic Universal monsters that get discussed in the history of this show. But is do you have anything? It doesn't even necessarily have to be the classic Universal monsters, I guess. But anything that is like every October, this has to be watched. Oh, gosh. I've got like 10 movies. At let's least. let's throw out some of them. Okay. I mean, I've got like the obvious ones like Hocus Pocus, Nightmare Before Christmas. I have to watch both Adam's Family. I normally watch Corpse Bride, Sleepy Hollow, House on Haunted Hill, the remake in, I think that was the late 90s, but they kind of do yep. the Vincent Price. It, brilliant. I, I love that, love that movie. I do it's- too. It's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. We'll have to go down a Vincent Price rabbit hole 
too, because I do love those films. I like the original House on Haunted Hill too. It's really fun. Those are the ones off the top of my head. I know I'm going to think of like a million other ones. Yeah, I mean, I I I would say Beetlejuice, but that's a year round thing for me. That is not a Halloween movie. Kelsey, I just want to real quick. Also, I did my little shameless self plug, but you are all over social media doing a bunch of different stuff. How about you plug a few of the places where people can check out your everything and then we'll sign off (laughs) great yeah let's plug you plug plug um i am on the tube of you so go on youtube my channel is just gelsey laurie it should be spelt on this podcast so take it from there i made a mini series over quarantine so there's a fun little six episode mini series that i created completely on my own with my own iphone i've got a couple recreation videos i did with my dad in quarantine those are doing very well and they're just fun um perfect for the halloween season as well we got some beetlejuice some time warp i recently have created some song parodies that I've recorded while I was recovering from my concussion. So check me out there. Check me out on Instagram, Gelsey Laurie at Gelsey Laurie. Say, Hey, I always will say hi back unless I'm busy. And then the next day I will return to saying, Hey, all right. Well, we will be back next Tuesday with another episode of before my time. Thank you so much. Make sure that you hit subscribe on the, whatever podcasting app you're using to listen to the show, throw us a review, throw us a five-star review, share it with people, all of that good jazz. Uh, And hopefully we can just keep making these until the end of time. Gelsey. Yes. That was my, I don't know what that was. Frankenstein. That was Hulk. I felt like, okay, I'll take that. That was a little hulky. Fire. I don't know. I'm going to stop now. Okay. Bye guys. Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.